he finds himself cocooned by mist. He knows he has departed the land of the living. But what now? The 78-year-old man tightens his grip on the items that on his deathbed he was clutching to his chest with the intention that they be buried with him. They are the two volumes of the magnum opus that has made him the country's leading expert in his field. His name is Dr Norman Joy and his practical handbook of British Beatles, first published in 1932, will remain the single most important contribution to the study of beetles, or coleopterology, for decades to come. He's aware that he may seem conceited in wanting his book alongside him in his grave, as though it were a pivotal contribution to human civilization. But he is a modest man, a characteristic enforced on him by disability. And the real reason he is clinging to his book is his hope that he can continue his passion for identifying new species of winged insects in any afterlife that may await him. As the mist begins to clear, he wonders if it's too much to hope for a heaven that exists, especially for beetle enthusiasts. The mist is gone now. Standing in a grey half-light, he sees that he's at the bottom of a service road. On one side are the back gardens of terraced houses. On the other side is a long, tall, black, corrugated iron fence. He walks up the road's slope, emerging into sunshine. He sees men and women. They're clutching football programmes and going through a turnstile in the black fence. He realises he's outside a football stadium, but he fails to recognise it as Vicarage Road, Watford, because he's never been here. All he knows is that everyone in his new existence seems to be a football fan. Dr Norman Joy mumbles to himself in crushing disappointment. This isn't a community of coleopterists. Why am I in this afterlife? Hornet Heaven The Joys of Watford Written by Ollie Wickham Read by Colin Mace In a changing room, in the wood and brick pavilion at the West Hart Sports Ground on Cassio Road, young men are pulling on yellow and red striped shirts and lacing up their boots. It's September 1896, and the West Hearts first team are nearly ready to take the field against Southall. 22-year-old Norman Joy looks out of the window at the driving rain. He sees that, undeterred by the wretched weather, a crowd of 400 has gathered around the first-team pitch. You look nervous, chummy, says a former schoolmate by the name of George Green. I am a bit, Norman admits. It's my first time playing in the Southern League. It feels like a big step up. You'll be fine, George says. You did excellently in the friendly a fortnight ago. Did you read what the Watford Observer said about you? They called you a useful acquisition. That's far better than what they wrote about your brother on his FA Cup debut last season. They described him as rather stiff. Norman takes encouragement from this. 
He's pursuing a career in medicine and hasn't caught the attention of a newspaper before. He's playing for West Hearts as an amateur and wonders if fame is something to which he'll have to grow accustomed. He's not here to try and make his name, however. Having been sporty at school, five miles down the road at Aldenham, he has become a member of the West Hearts Sports Club to carry on playing football in a familiar social circle. Norman's brothers had previously taken membership here and they are old Aldenhamians too, just like George Green. There is a definite feel of the old school tie to West Hearts and it remains a club in the true social sense of the word. Professionalism has yet to swallow up football and turn clubs into businesses. Enjoy the game, chummy, George says. There's definitely no need to be nervous. We're all in it together. Norman feels reassured and supported. This season, the whole club is new to a league that includes the likes of Tottenham Hotspur, who will go on to win the FA Cup twice in the next six years. West Hearts are in the division below, but they're currently top after winning their first game 5-0 against Wickham Wanderers last Saturday. These are exciting times, and Norman Joy is part of them. Eighteen and a half years later, in 1915, Dr Norman Joy walks across the grassy quad of Bradfield College in Berkshire, just west of Reading, where he is well established as the school's doctor. He took the job not so long after graduating from medical school. He finds the position suits him well, allowing him time for his extracurricular interests in natural history. He's 40 years old and happy. He passes the elegant brick and flint chapel and stops to chat to one of the Latin masters. A good weekend? he asks. Really rather disappointing, if I'm honest, Doctor, the Latin master replies. I enjoy following association football and I support Reading. We won our final game of the season on Saturday but were pipped to the post for the Southern League title by Watford. Norman can't suppress a smile. Really? What for the champions? Well, I never. I played for them once, you know, when they were called West Hearts. Golly, you kept that quiet, Doctor. I thought you spent all your spare time studying Beatles. I'm impressed. Watford have proved themselves the best team in the entire Southern League in 1915. And you once played for them. That's quite a feather in your cap. Well, uh, when I say I played for them once, I, I do literally mean once. The Latin master doesn't hear this qualification because he's calling out to a group of pupils on their way to the sports pitches. I say, you boys, did you know Dr Joy here used to play football for the new Southern League champions? The boys rush up and crowd excitedly around Norman. They ask for his autograph. He wants to explain that he wasn't a professional that it was perhaps more a social club than a football club and that he only made one league appearance. But the boys don't give him a chance. They are too thrilled to be in the presence of a former Watford player. He agrees to sign autographs but feels he ought to add to each signature the caveat that he was one of eight West Hearts players who made a sole lifetime league appearance in the 1896-97 season as the club sifted through members who could play at the club's new, more senior level. Soon, though, Norman relaxes 
and quite enjoys the attention he's getting. Before now, he'd never set much store on having played in that one game against Southall in 1896. But now he feels glad, and a tiny bit proud, that he can say he represented Watford Football Club, even if it was only once. Three years later, Norman finds himself on the edge of Misty Woodland. He isn't sure where he is, though the shrouded outline in the distance reminds him of the Casterbury Park gates in Watford, just across the road from the West Hart Sports Ground. It's odd. He discovers he can't enter the woodland and can't seem to leave. He can see people in the distance, but they can't see him. He has no way of communicating with them. He recognises one of the people as George Green, his old schoolmate and his teammate for his one game for West Hearts. But this can't be right. Because George died at the tragically young age of 29, more than 10 years ago. Norman assumes this is a dream and waits patiently on the edge of the woodland for a very long time. Seven weeks later, the misty landscape dissolves and he finds himself on a hospital bed with life-changing injuries. Norman is now 78, in his own bed at home in Chichester. Music plays on the radio at his bedside. It is January 1953. 35 years have passed since his motorcycle accident left him physically disabled with a damaged memory. But he has struggled on and put these years to good use. Now, as he lies close to death, he counts his blessings. He has two married daughters and a son who prospers as a doctor in the West Country. The book on ornithology that he wrote and illustrated, How to Know British Birds, went quickly through several editions and is still selling well, more than 15 years later. And his complete collection of British butterflies, pinned and identified, is safely housed in a London museum. But it is his work on identifying beetles that gives him most satisfaction as his life draws to a close. Since 1907, he has described several beetles new to science, and one has even been named after him. It is called Gyrophana joy. Although, as he has always modestly joked with people, he thinks Norman would have been simpler. He finds contentment in the fact that his name will live on, in the field of coleopterology at any rate, for many years to come. Now, as he feels his body closing down, Dr Norman Joy clutches to his chest the two volumes of his practical handbook of British Beatles, and awaits death. Three minutes later, he discovers that his final destination is not what he was hoping for. This isn't a community of coleopterists. 
Why am I in this afterlife? He gazes at his new surroundings in disappointment. The texture of the black iron fence separating the stadium from Occupation Road immediately puts him in mind of the rugged exoskeleton of the Floeades Diabolicus, or Diabolical Ironclad Beetle. But sadly, nothing else about this afterlife seems relevant to his lifelong passion. Suddenly, right next to him, a man wearing a blue and white rosette whirls a blue and white wooden rattle. Play up, the brewers! Dr Joy flinches at the sound and drops both volumes of his book. Oh dear, oh dear. He squats down and gathers up the books. As he does so, he notices how easily he is moving and he makes the belated realisation that his physical disabilities have vanished in this new environment. He is amazed. He tries a couple of knee bends. He discovers he feels as lithe and supple as when he used to play football as a youngster. He stands up straight, feeling renewed, feeling positive, and immediately sees a face he recognises. It belongs to the 29-year-old man he saw in the misty woodland when he was in his coma after his motorcycle accident. It's George Green. George! He shouts affectionately. George, it's me, Norman Joy. George Green stares quizzically at the 70-year-old face of the friend he hasn't seen for 48 years. Well, I'm blowed, he exclaims with a smile. How marvellous you're here, chummy. Welcome, welcome. He hugs Norman, whose books get in the way, rather. Thank you, Norman says when they separate. But, um, where is here? This is Watford Football Club Heaven. It's the afterlife paradise for everyone who loves the club unconditionally. Ah, then I fear I'm in the wrong place. I only ever kept half an eye out at best for their results. In later years, I was uh, much more interested in beetles. Norman shows George the covers of his beetle handbook. George takes both volumes from him and looks around. Well, you won't be needing these up here, chummy. Derek! A small, blonde, 13-year-old boy wearing a 1920s school uniform comes rushing up. Yes, Mr Green, sir. Store these books away in your programme hut, would you, Derek? There's a good boy. And while you're here, say hello to Norman Joy. Norman, this is Derek Garston. Hello, Mr Joy, sir. Uh, pleased to meet you, Mr Joy, sir. Actually, I I'd like to keep my books, thank you, Norman says, taking back both volumes. And um, it's Dr Joy... As a matter of fact, crikey, Dr. Joy, sir, Derek says excitedly. You must have gone on to do very well for yourself after your one league appearance for West Hearts in September 1896, Dr. Joy, sir. You, uh, you know about that, Norman says, astonished. The boy knows everything about everything, George says. It can be a little irritating, but uh, you soon get used to it. 
You're one of two brothers who made just a single competitive appearance for Watford when we were known as West Hearts, Dr Joyce, sir. The other being your older sibling, Basil, who died in 1940, Dr Joyce, sir. Norman is impressed that the boy seems to be as expert on the detail of Watford Football Club as he is himself on Beatles. But he thinks he's spotted a mistake and gently corrects Derek. One of three brothers, young man. Don't forget Bertie. I said competitive appearances, Dr Joyce, sir. Bertram Joy did make a single appearance for West Hearts, but it was only a friendly. A 3-0 home win over St Bartholomew's Hospital on September the 18th, 1893, Dr Joyce, sir. He scored after 20 minutes, Dr Joyce, sir. Norman grins. Well, uh, you certainly know your facts, young man. You and I seem rather alike. I've often been told my head is filled with meaningless information, but uh, about beetles, in my case. With respect, Dr Joyce, sir, my facts aren't meaningless. Those facts about you and your brothers mean a lot to me, Dr Joyce, sir. You see, you, Basil and Bertram got to play a game for the club, and that's what I always wanted to grow up to do before I died of tuberculosis, Dr Joyce, sir. To me, sir, you and your brothers embody an ambition that will remain unfulfilled for me for the rest of eternity, Dr Joyce, sir. Norman is a little taken aback by the teenager's breezy explanation of a hurt that must run deep. I... Uh, I'm sorry. Crikey, don't be sorry, Dr Joyce, sir. The other Mr Joy and I are always joking about it. The... Uh, the other... Mr Joy? George intervenes. Basil's been up here for more than a decade, he says, taking Norman's arm. Let's go and find him. Norman's knees slightly buckle on hearing this. He is glad George is holding him up. Yes, he says. I would like that very much indeed. Two minutes later, downstairs in the supporters' club headquarters, Norman is deeply moved to be reunited with his older brother, Basil, a mechanical engineer who died at the age of 68. Norman puts his books on the table and they hug, even though neither of them expressed their emotions this way when they were down on earth. They sit down and talk. Norman wipes a tear from his eye and says, It's uh, wonderful to be with you again. But I must say I'm surprised to find myself here. It was exactly the same for me, Basil says. Down in the land of the living, my great passion was for marine propulsion systems. I simply couldn't get enough of reciprocating diesel engines with rotating crankshafts directly coupled to the propeller. But if a marine motoring heaven exists, it exists without me. I had a thing for the Trox Scaber Beetle, Norman says wistfully. I could stare at the bristly scales on its elytral ridges for hours. But that kind of thing is all in the past for me now. I'm happy and fulfilled in this Watford heaven. But how have we both arrived here if we didn't love Watford Football Club unconditionally 
while we were down on Earth? Norman asks. Do all former players end up here? Definitely not. Do you remember the name ATB Dunn when we were young? Famous fellow. Won the FA Cup with Old Etonians in 1882. Played for the Corinthians. Captained England. Well, he played two competitive games for Watford Rovers and even scored twice to help us win the 1891 Hearts County Cup final. Arguably, he was the first Watford player to represent England because he captained England against Wales in between his two appearances for us. But he's not in this heaven. I see. His heart must have lain elsewhere, I suppose. He was a ringer, basically. But I still don't understand. What has brought people like us here when we were passionate about other things far more than Watford? Basil gets to his feet. Come with me and you'll find out, he says. Norman picks up his books and follows. How is this actually possible? Norman says, gazing in awe. After a brief visit to Derek Garston's programme hut to pick up two copies of a match programme, and after passing through the ancient turnstile in the black corrugated iron fence on Occupation Road, Basil has brought Norman to the West Hart Sports Ground. This is September the 26th, 1896, Basil says. We're here to watch West Hearts against Southall in the Southern League. Norman can't quite believe it, yet it is pouring with rain, just as he remembers the day. He tucks his books under his coat to protect them, as Basil leads him to join the crowd of 400 around the first-team pitch. Norman looks across to the pavilion. The time on the clock tower says a quarter to four, and he realises that his 22-year-old earthly self is in the changing room at this very moment, nervously awaiting kick-off and getting a pep talk from George Green. A minute or two later, he sees himself emerge from the pavilion in his yellow and red-striped West Hearts jersey, trotting out with the team. He feels a pang of emotion as he sees how athletic he used to be in his youth. And he recognises the feeling as one he felt after his motorcycle crash left him disabled. It is a deep sense of loss. Look at me, he says. This is how I was. Before. Before I couldn't. Basil gently grasps his arm and they watch Southall kick off, attacking the town end. 22-year-old Norman is in the West Hearts half-back line alongside George Green and Fred Robbins, who, 78-year-old Norman now recalls, was the brother-in-law of the man who founded Watford Rovers in 1881, Henry Grover. For 90 minutes, Norman watches his younger self, mesmerised. He can still feel an echo of the loss that he always felt after he was crippled, when he occasionally had cause to remember his brief amateur football career. But now, in this afterlife, unburdened by disability, he is starting to feel something else. He feels gratitude. He's grateful that he was once young, vigorous and sufficiently talented to play football in a league that included fully professional teams. And he recognises that deep down, he has felt this gratitude all along. This is what has brought him to Watford Football Club heaven.
Norman and Basil arrive back on Occupation Road in 1953. They stand together in the warm eternal sunshine, drying off from the rain of 1896. So, is this what you discovered when you first arrived? Norman asks. That all along, the club had meant more to you than you'd realised. Basil says, I think I actually began to grasp it shortly before I died. I didn't appreciate the significance of my very short career for Watford until I looked back on my life. They walk across the road to the programme hut to return their programmes to Derek Garston. As they enter, Basil continues. I mean, I actually got to play in the FA Cup. Me. I played in the FA Cup. Rub it in, Mr Joyce, sir. Go on, Mr Joyce, sir. While Basil and Derek share laughter at their running in-joke, Norman unbuttons his coat and takes out his books. He inspects both volumes to see if they survived the 1896 downpour. Aha! What have you got there? says a voice behind him. Norman turns and sees an 83-year-old man peering over his shoulder. It is Henry Grover, the original founder of Watford Rovers. Beetle fancier, are you? The father of the club says. Excellent. We all have our interests on the side, old thing. Indeed, I rather wish I'd had your foresight and been buried with items I was passionate about down on earth. For me, I think it would have been a rayon camisole. Probably red, loosely cut with spaghetti straps and lacy edging. There's a moment of awkward silence. Norman fills it by answering... I uh, used to be a beetle fancier, but uh, it turns out there was much more to life. He hands his books to Derek and says, Would you mind looking after these for the duration, young man? I shan't be consulting them. And I'd like two copies of the programme for Watford's most recent game, please. I want to get stuck into my new all-consuming passion straight away. Derek hands over two programmes to the dismal 4-1 defeat at Northampton Town last Saturday and hopes it won't dampen Norman's enthusiasm too much. Together with his brother, Norman leaves the hut and strolls across Occupation Road to go through the ancient turnstile for the second of what will be countless times for the rest of eternity. He says to Basil, You know, Brother Bertie's still alive. But I think we'll be seeing him up here when the time comes. After today, I'm confident his single appearance for West Hearts will dictate the whereabouts of his afterlife, despite his lifelong passion for motor engine accessories. Basil laughs. Do you think he'll have himself buried with the magnetic oil filter he invented or the diaphragm fuel pump? Plenty of room for either alongside my beetle books in Derek's programme hut, Norman replies. And so Norman Joy, reunited with his brother Basil Joy, and soon to be joined, exactly two months later, by their brother Bertram Joy, disappears through the ancient turnstile to watch his team, happy in the knowledge that the joys of Watford are eternal. The End
The Joys of Watford was written and produced by Ollie Wicken. It was read by Colin Mace. For more information on the Hornet Heaven stories, please visit hornetheaven.com.